Hello and welcome to Please Watch This Podcast, where two film-loving mates with gaps in their view in history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer that question, who has the better taste? I'm joined this week, as always, by Hugh Dempsey. Hello, everybody. Hello. How are you today? How are you, Sam? Yeah, really well. Doing very well indeed, actually. Thank you. How are you? Good stuff. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, busy, 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 as you know. Classic. Um... So, what's uh, what we're watching this week then? What's on the docket this week? We have been watching The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, the 1987 cult classic, starring the likes of Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, Andre the Giant, Christopher Guest, and a bunch of others. Um, you probably know it if you've seen the you know you've seen the title of this episode. If you've seen it, great. If you haven't seen it, there are going to be spoilers. Yeah, always spoilers. So even though this is called, please watch this. There's always spoilers. Uh, it's more it's more for me and Sam to things we want to recommend to each yeah. other. And hope that you guys like it as well. That, that uh, if you don't, is, <laughs> that instruction is that instruction is for each other. It's not for you, the listener. Yeah, because you you can watch it again if you like. If you want? <laughs> We're assuming you've yeah. seen it. Yeah. Or you want to recommend it to a friend who doesn't want to watch it? <laughs> yeah. You We're know, doing a public service. There's some flaws in this format, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> right, So, let's get cracking. So, this week, I have been recommending the film to Hugh. I have seen Princess Bride many, many times. I'm a big, big fan. Um, if you haven't listened to the show before, the simple format is one of us has seen a film that the other one hasn't, and we get them to watch it and see their views on it. Yeah, so, um, basically, what does, uh, so what's the, what does the Princess Bride mean to you, Sam? What does the Princess Bride mean to me? I, unlike a lot of people, I watched it relatively late. Not too late. Probably, mm. probably about, let's say, seven, eight years ago. So, you know, I was in my 20s when I first saw it. A lot of people watch it as children. What it means to me is a film without genre convention, or actually, mm. actually made up of lots of genre conventions, but very difficult to, to classify. And I think, from its point of view, that affected its, its gross. Um, especially in the first few weeks and it was only really when it came out on VHS that it became a success and I think it's because of that na- the nature of it is hard to sell it's hard to know it's hard to put into a trailer you know it's hard to get that tone it's very charming and irreverent and it's sort of a comedy but it's not it's sort of a satire but it's not it's sort of a fairy tale but it's not or it is and it isn't you know um, yeah I think I it, yeah I know what you mean because it's you, how do you have, how do you how do you make a trailer about a kid's film that's knowingly a wink and a nod mm. you know it's got that kind of Shrek quality to it but by that point you know this film had been out 13 years so kind of adults knew what their kids might be going to see with Shrek but where I feel like it was this film isn't like that like it kind of reminded me a bit of like the never ending story but good. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry to those. I, d- I don't mm. mean to give away how you feel about it, of course, because what we do every every episode, the host, yeah. the recommender, says what it means to them, what they liked about it, why they think that the person might like it, and then obviously, yeah, you'll uh, you'll give your view. So a few of the things it means to me, it, it's just charming. It's absolutely charming. Uh, it doesn't mean mm. much to me in terms of a sentimental. You know, I watched it with my dad or something like that. Literally, just I saw this film. It was not like anything I'd really seen. I try to sell it to people, and charming tends to be the word that I'll use quite a lot. There's lots of yeah. little details that just really give it an extra bit of warmth. There's there's Fezzik and Inigo who just 
just apropos of nothing, have a little rhyming game that they do, and it's just this little detail, and it's filled with these details, these quotations that just really, yeah, just charm my absolute socks off, really. Yeah, um, and so why would you recommend it to me? The reason, the well, there's many reasons. The reason why I recommend it to to you is because I think it would fit your sense of humour. The reason why I'd list, I'd recommend it to the listener and anybody else is I find it very hard to find a fault with it. Before preparing for this episode, I just thought this was a really very good film. And in preparing for this episode and watching it again a couple of times and reading around it a bit more, I'm growing further and further to the opinion that it's a basically a perfect film in the sense that there's not really a bum note in it, there's not really a scene I would necessarily change. There's a couple of effects, a couple of decisions that maybe are a bit dated or, or, or you know, it's low, too yeah. low a budget. In fact, just to back this up, I've got a uh, book written here in conjunction with the uh, a certain um, Radio 5 Live film show. Um, I've heard of it. <laughs> um, they call it, uh, well, here we go. I'll just read out a paragraph of somebody else's writing. The ancient Who's this? Sorry, is this by Mark Kermode? Yeah. Well, Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode have their name on the front of the cover. Oh, you mean so one of the interns wrote it? It's very possible. <laughs> or one of the production. They're busy men. Um, yeah. It's in a it's in a chapter called Prescription Medication, um, and there's films they're prescribing mm. for various ailments. The ancient looked for a panacea <laughs> to cure all the basically people <laughs> the movie doctors prefer to prescribe this gem from director Rob Reiner if all the films we've already listed aren't working for you then here's our banker if it's all hurting too much here comes the epidural and I think it's the use of the word banker it's it's a surefire everybody's going to love this film Yeah. okay so can I just ask you um, I assume that you'd seen this when you were a kid maybe like 10, 11, 12 years mm. old who, so obviously it's one of those films that's kind of in the cultural imagination, you know, that's how I kind of heard it and, you know, know things about it through that. Um, so how is it, who recommended it to you then? Because obviously I saw Star Wars as a child and it's that plays on the fairy tale genre, so this is very much doing that. So how, who recommended it to you? I don't think, I don't know if I've got a personal connection to this in the sense of a particular person. I think I was recommended it by just hearing it in popular culture and yeah. feeling like it must be an essential film and missing out on. And um, it's like when it's like when you first read George Orwell or Oscar Wilde or first properly read some Shakespeare or something where you go, right, mm. well, people love this. They're, people are religious about this. There must be a reason. Or, you know, maybe it's just boring. Like, you know, people really love Oscar Wilde. Well, he was over 100 years ago. And then you read it and it's funny. You know, it's genuinely funny to your modern sensibilities. You read Orwell yeah. and it's genuinely insightful, genuinely tells something you didn't really know or put something in such a way that you think, how on earth was he writing this 80 years ago? I think Princess Bride, although it's not that old, it's about 30 years old, I think there was an element of this is such a cult classic is it overhyped? Yeah. You know what? What's it all about? And then I watched it, and it was it would ex- it exceeded my expectations in that way. And I think that's really what sold it for me. So for you, it wasn't so much you were ex- you kind of went in it with, as an adult film viewing adult, thinking, oh well, people have said this is good, but perhaps again, it's being oversold because it's part of certain people's childhood memories. And yeah, absolutely. It, it's and, and got. A nation's you know, uh, yeah. people quote it, people quote Peter Cook, 
as the uh, you know at the wedding and marriage and inconceivable and very quote it's it's yeah. like if I hadn't seen with Neil and I and I just heard a million people quote it all the time I would think there's no way this can be that good and this that quotable yeah. and then you realize actually it can, it can be you know so for me um I'm not necessarily somebody who looks for inoffensive things I generally think generally think inoffensive things tend to be a bit safe and a bit rubbish yeah disney have done a really disney and pixar have done a great job of showing that that's not necessarily the case you can make a great film without it being offensive to anybody but i think that's what i really liked about this it was yeah just really sweet i mean what i really like is uh the importance that's given to true love yeah on the one hand it's doing that like i'm doing a film critic thing of on the one hand uh it's doing that as like a that's the motivation like a fairy tale but it genuinely believes it as well it um it treats true love as a real driving force that's a real phenomenon that's you know not one couple in a century are likely to to see that and that's really the reason why I was supposed to love it uh, and and it and it really sold it for me I think right so the the core message of the film actually got to you and you saw the that as something that was worth worth its salt, weight in gold sort of thing yeah and i think if it had been a film that was just that fairy tale it would have been enjoyable and funny but it there's a certain extra layer that's added by peter falk being mm. a, a kindly grandfather reading this as a as a yeah. story to a sickly child sickly grandchild because um it it adds a level of um, timelessness to it and a level of parody it really adds something um, it uh, it lets you occasionally get away from this, the sort of ridiculous stuff, the, the fairy tale of it it grounds it um, and as, de- as, as, de- as dated as the video game as the boy is playing is now it, it yeah. makes you see it through a modern lens and it's fine and it kind of I don't know, it kind of um, it, it's another thing that makes sure that the story doesn't take itself too seriously because even in the film world it's a fictional tale yeah yeah it, it knows that it's you know it knows that it's not almost it almost knows it's not real <laughs> if that makes sense yeah. all the actors in it are playing it straight but they know that they're they're not real as well if that makes sense you know like you said when they're doing the little rhyming on the boat <laughs> and in other parts um okay so um so what we've got here so what wouldn't you rec- what would what didn't you like about it or what wouldn't you why wouldn't you well so um, the, maybe the reason why i think you might not like it um yeah well wouldn't I it's a tricky one to say actually i watched it again today and i kind of purposely put on my naysayer devil's advocate hat yeah and i found very little that i could really say i don't think you'll like it for this reason because I think it is charming. Um, maybe something that occurred to me was the scene with Miracle Max and his wife feels like a different yeah. film where maybe they're just having a lot of fun and it because suddenly becomes a bit too friendly and a bit like, uh, you know, this is just some friends of the director and cast who are just improvising. A little bit of that, but I think it really actually when I watch it again and again, I do I like that scene even more and more because it because of that quality and because it's Billy Crystal 
uh, and he's a sort of 1980s Jewish American comedian being very Jewish American, you know, the MLT and all that. So I think that, <laughs> yeah. that might have taken you out of it, um, potentially. I think... Um, actually, you know, I, I really... I, there's a couple of times where you can see crash mats, you know, and, you know, and a couple of effects, a couple yeah. of stunts and so on that don't fully work. But I think I think that might be something. Um yeah, I, I struggle to think of what you might not like about it. Okay, that's uh, that's understandable. Uh, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm just going to put an edit here. Edit. Uh, now, if you want to, I can stop. Well, if you want to clean up, if you, you've let Natalie bless her. She's been sat for the last five minutes, proper creeping oh, around. Sam's doing most of the talking right now, so you, I can. Yeah, it's. I'm recording my stuff. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll, I was going to do it when I was finished anyway, because. Um, okay. So, what was your favourite f- uh, scene in the film? I've thought long and hard about this. There are many, and for many reasons. I think, really, when I, when I don't think about it and I just answer, it probably is the sword fight between Wesley right. and Inigo Montoya. And there's many reasons for it. There's many on-screen reasons. There's many off-screen reasons for that. The mm. on-screen reasons are the asides, the jokes, the you know, I, I'm not left-handed. That's fantastic. I think one of my favourite lines is after Inigo says, you seem a decent fellow, I'd hate to kill you. Wesley, in his completely, Wes- you know, completely Wesley style says, you seem a decent fellow, I hate to die. And I think it's just brilliant. And, and there's this great respect mm. between them and just just this great back and forth. And, you know, and they're both so honourable, but so brilliant. And that I like... Yeah. In that scene, there's a bit where they're like, it's just two blokes shooting the shit yeah. <laughs> at one point before he's getting the rocks out of his boots. I mean, and he's like, Yeah, the rocks out of the boots is a great visual gag that's not addressed. I mean, it really introduces the Inigo Montoya character, really, and his motivation. Yeah. We see him as just as maybe a hired hand who's got some conscience. Now we see yeah. work with um, with Vassini, pays the bills, really, it's all back. And it sets up, obviously, the most. The most well-known, you know, lines of the of the film really that Mandy Patinkin gives yes. every single day, and from what I'm told, never lets the fans down. We'll always, we'll always give those, we'll always give those lines. Yeah, that's um, yeah that that line is. I think both of us have come from that at the same point because we didn't watch it as little kids or kids growing up. You know, with that kind of oh, you know, this line from the film. You know, um, you know insert famous line here that you think <laughs> when you were a kid, you know, um, that you sort of like, you know, again, spoilers for Star Wars, but, you know, Luke, I am your father sort of thing. Which, of course, is a you know, that, Yeah, Obi-Wan never told you who your father was. I am your father. No, uh, but, you no, know, that's... I am your father. That's... Anyway, head into it. Anyway. So, yeah. The story behind that scene as well is is just as interesting, mm. just as impressive as, honestly, I th- other than other than the jumping, the ridiculous, you know, the, the gymnast stunts, yeah. that whole thing was done by the actors, all the sword fight. And so, Mandy wow. Patinkin, they were trained by very, very famous choreographers and fences, and I'll get onto them in a moment. They were trained for months before shooting, and during shooting, as you probably know, actors get a lot of down, maybe not downtime, but certainly they're not always delivering lines, and it would be... Yeah, they're waiting for people to set up on All that, and it would be, you know, finish, finish their scene, they're about to sit down, and then suddenly 
they're there, they're, they're greeted with a sword, right, we need to do more on this, we need to do more on that. And they were really, really adamant that it had to look completely authentic, even to somebody who really knows it. You know, they hadn't really had much training before. Mandy Patinkin kind of tried to get one up on Carrie Elwes by having a couple of months of training beforehand. So it was a little bit more proficient when they met up. Here's where yeah. it's interesting. There's actually quite a few Star Wars links between this uh, with to this film. So the two people who were helping out with the with training for the fencing and being stuntmen mm. were Bob Anderson and Pete Diamond. Bob Anderson actually stunned yeah. uh, stunt double for Vader during some of the lightsaber battle scenes. Okay. And Pete Diamond, he played the Tuscan Raider who attacked Luke in New Hope. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and you know that's further, that is. I mean, I know you're not a Star Wars fan, but that's quite great, that's it? quite well parodied and thing. Uh, I mean, mm. you know, if you look at their Wikipedia page and their filmography, they're really highly respected. They've done all kinds of work on all the films you might think of that have got that got. I mean, particularly, um, particularly Bob Anderson. He was an Olympic fencer. You know, he's really easily expert. He was the expert. Um, sadly, died. He was the expert on film sword play you know he would train people he would be a stuntman in, in all those things um another star wars link that i found if you're uh, if you'll humor me oh <laughs> see what you did <laughs> is um the when wesley and buttercup are in the um fire swamp and he's fighting with yeah the large rodent the main the the actor who fought him in that one played an ewok that's not very surprising <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a little person in the film industry in the 80s yeah. that probably makes sense a funny story as well was um, they'd shot some scene they, he didn't turn up one day he was the only little person who was hired who actually was stunt trained so he was the only one who was trained and qualified to actually fight um, in that scene so he didn't turn up he was just late he, he just was no explanation for it so they'd filmed a couple of shots with Carrie um, fighting basically a rubber version, you know, with nobody inside, trying to fight it, trying to make it look realistic. He turned up almost at the end of the day of shooting, saying he'd been pulled over by the police, he'd been drinking, I think he'd been at a party, and he was trying to tell the police, no, I'm supposed to be in a film, you know, I'm an actor, I'm supposed to be in a film. I don't, it didn't go down very well. Um, and he <laughs> turned up, yeah, still a bit half cut, uh, spent a bit of time <laughs> in a police station. But, wow. and, you know, he got into this thing. So who was... That, so what was he meant to play in the swamp? Which what one of one the, of the um, one of the large rodents or something? Yeah, the R- 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 US is. He uh, yeah, I mean you know, and it was like fifty pounds worth of uh, clothing and rubber, and he couldn't really see, he couldn't really move, could barely breathe. So they're very conscious, very conscious of how difficult it was for him in that in that role. Yeah, was that because I read something. That that was apparently in the end, it was the director who stepped in, um, Rob. Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, yeah, into that outfit or something. Apparently, or they reshot mm. it and did it the bit where they have to fight in the swamp. Not that I'm aware of, because it wouldn't have fit in the costume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, IMDb's not always truthful, is it? I think that's. <laughs> I think you can accept yeah. that at this point. Just to go, just to go back on a point. Um, so, do you want to say the famous line? Would you like to? I know you, you know, get it. <sighs> Committed to posterity. Sure, someone's got to do it. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Quick, Carrie. <laughs> it's funny that. <laughs> Quick, Carrie. Get to stop. Uh, stop. Stop terrorists blowing up things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I know Man- Mandy. 
Patinkin? Patinkin, yeah. Patinkin. Yeah. That's how I know him. So when I found out he was in, in Neo Montoya, I was like, oh, <laughs> this guy's a good actor. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, um, I, the, the, my thought on the film was a lot of the leads didn't go on to do, be very famous or do any big roles, but some of the side characters were very famous. Actually, I'm completely wrong. You know, Buttercup, she's, uh, what's her name? Carrie Underwood? Not Robin. Robin, uh, Robin Wright, yeah. she played... Um, House, Carrie, Carrie Underwood, Underwood. Yeah. yeah, House of Cards. Carrie was, um, I mean, he for one he thing, kinda, he was the he was the other he was the sort of stepdad figure in Liar Liar. Was that him? Was him, and it was, he's one of the most worst served characters. I mean, Jim Carrey in that film is the good guy. He's this scumbag yeah. liar who gets people. Whereas he, Carrie was his character. All his crime is not being funny enough. But he is completely <laughs> clean cut. He's a really nice guy. He's got a stable job, and he's taking he's he's in a relationship with this woman, and he's happily trying to be the father, new father, stepdad father to this child. But that is not an easy thing to do, and just can't do the claw yeah. very well. He's just not very convincing. It's like oh f- fuck that guy. Excuse excuse, me, excuse my friend. Screw that guy because um, he's not Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey's a piece of crap. Um, yeah. So he's, not so there. Yeah. he's also in Top Gun. He's also in Psych. You know, he's he's got a body of work. The only, the only thing I had seen him in before this, what that I remembered seeing him in, that was uh, Robin Hood Men in uh, Men in Tights. Yeah, that's, that's what I should mention. That's yeah, that's uh, another big thing. Yeah. And he was um, all the way through the the making of and, and so on. That one of the big themes is how on earth are we going to find this guy who has got a you know. Flawless British accent. I mean, it helps that Carrie was his English from London. Flawless British accent. Beautiful, but funny, but can play it straight. Athletic, all those things. You know, he's 23, yeah. he's filming uh, Lady uh, Jane Grey, Lady Grey. Um, and, there were, you know, there were parts where he was worried he was going to get fired. And I think, really, Rob Ryan is thinking, I'm not going to fire you because who we're not going to get anybody else. There was, um, there was a story about um, Andre the Giant, did not get around easily, so they hired an ATV vehicle to you know to get him around, and he just for fun said to Carrie, "Why don't you just you know play on it, try it out?" Carrie was re- reluctant, but went along with it and broke his toe. Tried to hide that from Rob Reiner because it was not long. They were they had to film the the sword fight in the next few weeks. He thought, "Well, this is going to mess with everything. I might get fired here." Um, and try to hide it from Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner did the classic teacher-parent thing of, you know, when were you going to tell me? I'm I'm not annoyed you did it. I'm annoyed that you lied to me, that you were trying to keep it from me. Um, and mm. I was just fine with it. And on the topic of uh, performance that's born of thinking you might get fired, Wallace Shawn, who really? plays Fasini, yeah. he was convinced, he'd heard from somebody, that Rob Reiner's first choice was Danny DeVito for that role. Yeah. And so he was convinced every single day after the finish shooting that he was going to, every time he got cut, he was convinced he was going to be fired. And so he, he <laughs> says that his, his performance, something like his performance was 40% him, 40% Rob and 20% Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I could see maybe why they'd have Danny DeVito in that role uh, yeah. or why they'd want him. But Wallace Shaw uh, is a, I know him from, uh, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine as the Grand Nagus. <laughs> right. So every time, yeah, that's kind of how I knew about him. And then it was only later in life that I realised he was this, like, actually accomplished actor, you know, writer and filmmaker himself. Have you ever seen the film um, I Did with Andre? 
No, that's again. That's what he's. That's what he's famous for. And I've, never, I've never seen it because it just never came into my cultural conscious. I, I suppose if you saw that film, I was watching a some sort of compilation of of uh, YouTube hmm. uh, YouTube compilation of edits from films where it's about the meaning of life and it was interesting and. There was one thing, it was a 10 minute thing and it had, you know, interspersed with Bill Hicks and God knows what else and speeches by Al Pacino or whatever in films. Um, we just kept giving these conversations, this, this you know, very sedate, just conversational clips in this film and I just had to know what it was and it was My Dinner with Andre and I watched it and it's, it's ambitious. It's, you know, 90 minutes and it's literally a conversation, the whole thing. Little bit of narration at the yeah. start, little bit of narration at the end, little bit of narration occasionally in the thing. Completely that and Wallace Shawn... Uh, Actually, wrote it and you know co-starred in it. So he's pretty- yeah. Well, it, it, I remember something was it was based on conversations that him and his co-star, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah, um, also shall remember. we? We can Google that real quick and find out his name. But it was based on conversations that they had had um, over a few months, and then they wrote it up basically. Uh, it's a big danger in filmmaking, really, to to base a story off what's actually happened to you because real life is not cinematic. Um, and that film is not cinematic, but it is a good film, if mm. that makes sense. You know, it, it's not a, There's not much of a narrative, a three-act thing, that sort of thing, but it's... Yeah, Andre Gregory was the... Right, uh, okay, the yeah. And his character is obviously. actually called Wallace in the, in the film, so... Yeah, Very so autobiographical. So he's brilliant. Oh, he completely nails that role, and it, a lot of it was fear, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> a great incentive. That's interesting because that's kind of how the character operates in the film, isn't it? <laughs> when he's, when he's, you know, when he says to Andre's character, uh, "Is it Fezzi? Fezzik? Fez- yeah. Fezzik, That's it. Yeah. He said, "I did watch it." <laughs> uh, he says to Fezzik, "You know, oh, you, you know, before me, you were." Scaring children, you know. Do you want to go back to doing that? Essentially, yeah. or it says something along those lines. Well, I've got that as part of you know, my you... quiz later, so I'll uh, I won't correct you on that. Ooh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah. So, um, would you do you think I liked this? Would have liked this film? Would you? Re- I do you think I like this film? I think you. <laughs> did i think you did um i uh, presumed that you would and then just based on little hints from our conversation i I think i get the sense that you don't hate it and i think i think you i think you enjoyed it right yeah so i did enjoy the film um i thought it was it was kind of what i expected and then when they were in the so obviously again spoilers but when they were in so when they're in the forest the dreaded forest or whatever it's called um, and then he basically explains the dread uh, Captain Roberts mantle and how that works. Yep, the dread pirate. That Roberts, was from yeah. sorry, the dread pirate Roberts. That was the bit for me where it uh, kind of it took it made me actually want to watch the end oh, of the film yeah. and enjoy the rest of it. Yeah, because up until that point, it, 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 to describe it as you know postmodernism, knowing wink and a nod to itself is very easy to say because we've grown up with that sort of attitude in film you know we've got Pixar we've got um, you know great examples of that you know a lot of their films are a bit of a wink and a nod to the adults in the audience about what's happening and what else I just yeah that's kind of so but once it got to that point I kind of forgave it all it's kind of little (laughs) little bits and pieces like so yeah there is I mean 
I've written down actually. Um, so see if you can decipher the film from this. So, uh, so from start to finish, uh, the Princess Bride, uh, to, uh, 1987. So I'll just do it as each point. Fairy Tale, The Wonder Years. Uh, Netflix. When you pause. Uh, when you pause the title, uh, it reads both ways, up yes. and down. You know the words. There's a word for um, that. I can't. Um, yeah, it's not a I meant to Google it. It's like a word that sounds like palindrome. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Um, my next statement was: Is that Columbo? Just one more fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know. So when I was first watching, it, I didn't realise it was because I was only to. So what I wanted to do each time was, and what I want to do each time we what I watch a new film is just watch it through without knowing anything about the mm. film. I just want to kind of, you know, only take what the text or the, the film gives you, should I say. So um, to rather than I think that's what film ideally should be. I think as much as I love some of the celebrity parts of films and, and following an actor and watching a film because an actor's in it, I'd rather every film I watched, I'd mm. never seen any of those actors in anything else before and I didn't know anything about it. Mm. And I think if you took away the money aspect, that's kind of what it would be there wouldn't be any incentive to, or at least, you know, if you took away the financial incentive to just saturate and make you aware of all the beats, at least from the first third of the film, I think film would be much better. Indeed, especially with properties that, you know, aren't designed to have aren't sequels or aren't follow-ups to other things, or, you know, you don't have to know certain things. Now, that might that's a bit of an old-fashioned view, I think, because... You know, when I watch a new film or an old, see an old film for the first time, you know, I'm usually the first to start googling and IMDbing the 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 film because I want to know more about it because it's not being a lot of films that you see on TV are shown for a reason because at some point the people in enough number have said this is a good film and that's therefore television bosses and program schedules have gone right this is something we can sell adverts during and we know that maybe we'll get an audience for it so there has to be something that is intrinsically good or enjoyable about the film or even popular it doesn't necessarily have to be good but it has to be has to have had a popularity um and as much as you might we've got a very similar taste in films broadly speaking you can see where films that we don't like still hold their appeal, even if that's god-awful and very reductive. Uh, looking at you, Fast and Furious. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I thought that Carrie Elways was Ethan Hawke at first, because I think they look very similar. So I put Ethan Hawke, question mark, and then I put, no, it's not, it's Robin Hood, Men in Tights, but English. <laughs> For some, in t- oh, no, Robin Hood in Men in Tights, but English. Um even though he was English in that film, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I also put that Kerry Elways looks a bit like Matthew Modine as well. You know what? You've I ever completely seen. agree because when I was thinking, oh, what have I seen him in since then? And I thought, oh yeah, yeah. Um, Dark Knight Rises. Uh, no, that's Matthew Modine. <laughs> that's he's in that. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I completely agree with that. He, he's also in that realm of actors for me who uh, has a, a huge film in the eighties um, or thereabouts mm. and. He's not a household name. He's not in everything. He's had a career in that time, but certainly to to my viewing history, I don't remember being mm. in much else. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, so the next point I made was uh, Robin Wright. This is going to be good. Uh, great fake <laughs> accent. I thought her fake accent was really spot good. On. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, she's, I think yeah. she's 25. 
four or something as well. And I thought I googled. It. I'm sure she was younger than that. I think she was about. Sorry, no, you're no, right. You I think, right. No, you're yeah. right. I think you're, you're upset. I think she she's might. even younger than he is. So I think you're right. And she yeah. hasn't really been in uh, an American soap. So you know, right. to have that is spot on. Yeah. I mean, it literally says introducing her at the in the credits. Yeah. I don't know why I thought twenty. So I think you're right. It's probably more like twenty. I think he's he's twenty three. Yeah, he's twenty three. Yeah, he's twenty three, yeah, and she's twenty one. So they're. they're well, they're not children, but they're young, yeah. young very young people. It's a film. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and they put a lot of they put a lot of work on uh, Carrie Elways in this. Or El- How would you pronounce that name? Can we just go into the pronunciation <laughs> of this guy's name? Is it Elways? Elways? Um, my understanding uh, Elways? is Elways. Honestly, I don't. Okay, know. let's go with I've that. Heard, we'll I've pick heard a, him. We'll I've listened to the audio book of a book he wrote. And I've heard yeah. him say his own name, and it's something like Kerry Elwes. So we're calling Kerry Elwes. So it, they put a lot of a lot of work on him to carry this film. Um, I think that's why you get a lot of the. Uh, um, and my next point is harsh, um, harsh on the name Humperdinck. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I know, you know, the, the Humperdinks really do get a lot of uh, uh, beatdowns in yeah, well, life. Yeah, well, Engelbert, like the, the pop singer Engelbert, chose yeah. a silly name to sell more records. So I think. So I think I hear. Fair enough. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So they give a lot of um, they give a lot of the acting weight to uh, the man who plays. Uh, the Interesting fact about him: his name Chris Sarandon. Yeah, Chris Sarandon. Who there. He was married to. Was it Susan Boyle by any <laughs> chance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then, then they married, yeah. and now she's Susan Sarandon. Fair enough. I, I figured they, there was a connection there because yeah. they wouldn't. Yeah, I I thought they might have been brother or sister or something like that. Sometimes, you know, you get more famous sibling, don't you? Like uh, Gary Oldman and his and his sister, who was in EastEnders. Big yeah. Mo, yeah, Big Mo. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, they give a lot of work to um, Chris Sarandon and Chris Guest in this film. I think to kind of hold a lot of the acting weight, if that makes sense. Because, but I think Carrie always. Elwes is brilliant in this. He's, he's um, great, isn't he? He's just, I mean, he's so beautiful. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is a good looking bloke, isn't yeah. he? Um, uh, guys who's beautiful in his early 20s and then just a very uh, inoffensively handsome 35 year old who's not hot. I don't know why we're getting into this. Not hot, but perf- this is why he's in Liar Liar as the boring. Yeah one because he's not got an interesting face anymore he's just got a he's just a sort of you know handsomeish, like sort of um yeah what's his name the, the host of tipping point you know completely inoffensive Pop bradley no bradley not, coo. Face, not bradley coo sean uh thingy this is not going to make it's, the edit whole, no it's not <laughs> but it's a whole realm of, of men who are just very safe uh faces yeah yeah, you know, and they're not sexy. They're, they're just not unattractive. Yeah, I mean, if you saw them in everyday life, you'd be like, "There's a good-looking person," yeah. but on TV, they're just a normal-looking person. Yeah, yeah. same. Um, so the next bit I put was this is for uh, all Deep Space fa- Deep Space Nine fans out there uh, in our little club. Quark, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I was like, "Oh, there," and that was um, when we were talking about all this show, uh, Sean coming on. Um, Oh, and before that, Andre just killed a woman because he basically bashes her on the head to knock her out. <laughs> well, no, when he knocks her out, he grabs her by that. the neck. 
he just like does a sort of weird sort of Vulcan grip thing. You see, I'm he knocks sure. out the albino. Oh yeah, he does. Him, yeah, uh, by jogging his memory, hits him on the head. But, <laughs> Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, I put this really looks like England. So, like I said, I wanted to watch the film without actually knowing anything about it. I was like, this looks like England or the Republic of Ireland because the um, or maybe somewhere in Wales. I felt like they clearly had gone to the UK to film this. Um, but you could just tell by the geography. Um, it was filmed in Sheffield. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this stuff. In, there's a, the, so just for those listening, if, you, if you're not aware, Carrie Elwes wrote a book called As You Wish, and it's sort of tales of the mm-hmm. making of. And certainly the audio book, I presume the print version as well, has exer- extracts and, and contrib- contributions from the other cast and crew. And um, yeah. the audiobook has their recordings, you know, has them, has their voices. Uh, Billy Crystal is over the phone, very clearly. Uh, the rest <laughs> have somehow gotten to a studio. Billy Crystal is the he's the big he's the Hollywood one, who's um, Mr. Hollywood literally yeah. phoned it in. Um, he's 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 uh, hosted the Oscars, don't you? Well, know? that's what I mean. So he, he can he can phone in an audiobook um, <laughs> contribution all he likes. Uh, and it's a it's a, yeah. it's a really good book. It's. Um, I'd, I'd really recommend it for anybody who enjoys this film or really? who wants to know more. Um, so the next thing I put was, there's only three of them. Who's cleaning the boat? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. Yeah. Fair, uh, yeah. That's, again, where you let it off. I think if we're going to be hypercritical, I think this is this sort of thing you let off these films at this time. Because I think if it was made now, you'd be able to wink and a nod and you'd see the DVD extras where it'd be saying, well, we wanted to make this, you know, you know, you'd have had the art department spending loads of money getting like this amazing pirate ship boat that they're on and you know this impossibly expensive thing that these people would never have had yeah and I, <laughs> I think that's that's quite an interesting point actually, about, that where, yeah. where they've not had the money or time to do certain things in yeah. this film it doesn't matter because it's charming you know you, yeah. you, you see that it's actually a guy in a costume or you know when they're climbing up the cliffs of insanity and it's clear that they've just been hoisted up you go well. That's just charming. Mm. It's not. It doesn't take you out of the moment. To, to my to my eye, anyway. It, you know, it didn't take me out of the moment. It didn't bother me at all. I just thought this is very sweet. Yeah, I think you you, rec- you see it straight away when they're up, when he's climbing up. But because of it's like you said, it's it's the nod and the wink kind mm. of to the camera. As I keep stating, you you let it off with certain things because you go well. It's they haven't got CGI. They've you know they're trying to hoist four people up. You know it. it you just let it off. Uh, the next point I made was Deus Eel Machina. <laughs> so if you know where we are now. Uh, let me think. So that, oh, the when the Dread Pirate Roberts turns up, or the eels. Yeah, the eels. So when she yeah, goes in the yeah, water with right, the eels. Yeah, yeah. So I put, so um, you were saying earlier about uh, the fences and being trained up and they did all that mm. themselves except for the gymnastics. So, um, I know it, so I know a little bit about that manoeuvre that they did. Um to get alongside her, so um, Fezzik could, Andre the Giant, could pull her out of the water. Um, there was no way they could have got there in the time yeah. it took for him to reach round. So when somebody goes in the water, uh, you have to basically come about, and you have to do... So if someone goes overboard in a this, in this sailing ship, you could be in the water for quite She's a long time. She's far too far away, isn't she, so for that grab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know what you mean by that. That was a bit of a you know sort of thing, but it is quite scary actually. Those eels, the the noise they make and the the way they come and the the jump at the camera. You know, I didn't watch this until my twenties, and that kind of 
not scared me, but it yeah. was effective in that moment. Yeah. And I just love, I just love some of the interjections from Fred Savage's, you know, child character. Just things like, oh, it's not a, it's not a kissing book, <laughs> you know, that sort of. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I like. Yeah, the, like that bit is like, so the princess is going to, you know, that kind of, the princess is going to be all right here because, yeah. you know, it, that's to the audience saying, look, you know, she's fine. Let's see how exactly, she gets out of yeah, this. Yeah. And, and, you know, the little kid. And, and Inigo, go Inigo, on. much later in the film, Inigo yeah. says, oh no, Fezzik says he's dead. And then he cuts back and says, no, you read that wrong. What does it mean he's dead? He's not dead. Who's yeah. He's humperdink, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic little extra. Uh, and it's like, and it's like charming bit between like, a kid and an adult going, well, if you're not going to listen to me read the rest of this book, I'm going to put it, you know, I'll turn this book around. (laughs) Who's the fair? Where's that written? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the next bit when they're coming up to the cliffs, you know, when they're navigating Mm -hmm. in through the cliffs, I wrote, fucking love models. (laughs) (laughs) There's something I miss about uh, looking at models and film. You can recognise it a mile away. But, um, and then obviously the first time you see uh, um, the Dread Pirate Roberts, yeah. and I put. Do they have copyright for Zorro? Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, their real, their um, their real uh, influence for that really was Errol Flynn, whose films I haven't seen. You know, they gave him that little wispy moustache, and that was a big part of the you know the kind of description of what, who they're looking for, basically. And um, yeah, it's completely Zorro. And in fact, I think it was Bob Anderson, who you know, who was one of the choreographers and fences and so on. I think he also worked on Zorro. Well, certainly him mm. on Pete Diamond. One of them worked on Zorro as well, which is, uh, makes a lot of sense. Mm. I love this. I love this bit um, as he's climbing up the cliffs um, when they're about to, just before the duel. Um, Andre the Giant says to <laughs> how do you pronounce his name? Inigo. Inigo. It's Inigo. I thought it was Inigo. Inigo. I N. Inigo. Inigo. A Montoya. Well, he says to Montoya, he says, remember, kid. He said, oh, there's a good message here. He went, you know, people in masks cannot be yeah. trusted. Well, there's some great things. <laughs> and I mean, when, when later on, when um, when Dread Pirate Robert slash Wesley, is, he, he's harassing Buttercup and he says, you know, um, life is paying highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling something. It's a beautiful line, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, it's very kind of, New worldy kind of understanding, yeah. you know that. Oh, this is, you know, we're not going to pass anything there. I put um, remember kids hard message. I put obviously people in masks can't be trusted. I put hard message for some people in Latin America and Northern Ireland at this time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that could, you know, you're saying I can't trust my dad <laughs> or my uh, revolutionary or uncle. My favorite wrestler, you know. Exactly. Yeah, there is that side to it. So is it are you saying it's racist or just? Short-sighted. Uh, well, it's short-sighted, mm. isn't it? You know, for some children, you know, it's like... <laughs> it's just me being... Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> when when uh, Montoya tells this that story about his uh, dad um, having, you know, spending all the time uh, making mm. the, the sword and the... And unfortunately, the, the, the as we find out later, the, uh, the prince's advisor, the king's advisor, he... Um, <laughs> um, he doesn't give him up just put uh, he should have asked for a deposit you know it's bad business he, he, he's got no one else to blame but it himself. is I mean I, that's my feeling on the matter <laughs> on the subject um, of Inigo Mataya and uh, that performance from Man yeah. Thinking that's really kind of defined his career as much as his I think I don't know if he's won a Tony but he's certainly been 
like nominated for Tonys and you know well known on the stage apparently, and all that sort of stuff. Apparently, he's an amazing singer. Yeah, all, you know all this stuff, and I didn't. I honestly didn't even know he wasn't Latin American. You know, I knew nothing about Manny Patinkin when I, when I was. I don't know anything yeah. more about him much now. The the this is, this is not really really news to a lot of um, fans of this, but it's it it made me cry basically. Um, he lost his dad to cancer in the seventies. And so a big, wow. big part of his method as an actor was he was genuinely psyching himself up such that if he kills Christopher Guest's character, he's killing the cancer. And in that moment, mm. he's, he's, he's got his father back. And there's that beautiful thing when he stabs him. You know, he's, he's, he's toying with him and he says, you know, offer me money, offer me power, offer you know, anything I want. He says, yeah. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And knowing mm. the context of that, every time, I'm getting chills now, every time brings a tear to my eye because... He, even though he's not Latin American, when he speaks in interviews, especially about this, he is very passionate in the way that you'd expect. You know, Antonio Banderas when he's if he's talking about his deceased father, um, yeah. and it's this beautiful thing. And I watched it. I think I was hungover uh, when I was watching this interview last week, and it, I was just <laughs> on edge emotionally, and it just really hit me. I was just, I was yeah. just, in, you know, in floods of tears, and you know him saying things like that you know talking about his dead father and uh, yeah like i said that that final that final moment of I, I want my father back you son of a bitch like that that's just beautiful yeah I, as i said i i didn't know about him at all until i watched homeland mm. and i got into that really big and obviously once you're into something you you want to know more about the actors in it and obviously he was him and Claire Danes were kind of the standout actors in that show. That's why it kind of carried on after Damien Lewis's character left. And um, yeah, I didn't know anything about him. And he does, he has some really powerful emotional scenes like that in that show. So I recommend it if you uh, I haven't seen it. You know, he is fantastic. So that, that's, that's sold it an, an edge more. That's given, that's made me a fraction more likely to watch it in the same way that Carrie was mm. being in psych has made me a fraction more likely to see that as well. Oh, I've never even known so, it. I've not seen okay. House, House of Cards. Now I know Robin Wright's in it. Maybe I will. Yeah. Yeah, she comes into it really... It's like the first series, not really about her, but second and third and fourth and the last one, I think. Okay. Which one I haven't seen all of because it went through all the mess with Kevin Spacey and it clearly affected it, which was a bit of a shame, quite frankly. Um, but to segue back into the show we're talking oh, yeah. about, or the film we're talking about... Um, so when they're fighting and they're talking, they're doing like the uh, they're talking about the different methods of fighting. And I just put, I know nothing about fencing. This could have been in the opening chapter of Fencing One Hundred and One: How to Fence for well, Beginners. You know, um, <laughs> but now I do know. Goldman, <laughs> who wrote the book and the screenplay, he spent months yeah. uh, researching uh, what would have been what would have been accessible to them as theories. So you know, we're talking. 800 years ago or something you know what what yeah you know and benetti's defense and uh, agrippa and all this stuff they're not they're not yeah. modern writers that was actually techniques used hundreds and hundreds of years ago in in, in fencing and sportsmanship. Wow. so he did a lot of research to get that right which is you know and such an obscure detail that I, I i bought you know and i'm i don't know how many people watching that know anything about swordsmanships you know to, to me in the same way that with the with the sword fight the, the choreographers and the director really yeah. wanted it to be um, passable that's, even to an expert, you know, as these people. That's, that's, that's amazing, actually, because, you know, a lot of the time when you do hear about something, you know a little more than the Joe blogs about. Yeah. 
so to speak, you do kind of go, well, that's what you'd learn in the first week <laughs> of learning that. So to hear that the, uh, what was he called? The, sorry, the director. William, William Goldman, not the, director, the writer. William yeah. Goldman. Yeah, when the, he actually worked on it and wanted to make sure it was right. It's a bit like, you know, in the scene in Goodwill Hunting when they talk about the uh, reading the books arguing with the others with the student who goes oh, to Harvard yeah yeah uh, you, you, and they're trying to cordon, what's it called cordon oh what's it called uh, cordon, cordon wood cordon, yeah go, you're talking about Gordon wood and yeah all that stuff yeah yeah, yeah where they're one-upping each other and obviously he shows he's smarter and so I was like and when I watched that film I was like oh so are they are they just quoting something that any like third year undergrad would know because <laughs> I know they kind of go well you would know that if you were you know after your undergraduate student yeah, or whatever, yeah. I find like, Tybalt's counter to be you know yeah I don't mean I think I mean I, honestly I don't know obviously I don't know but it was literally no, months no. he spent researching it so I'm assuming it was more than yeah I don't know how many undergraduate degrees there are in fencing but uh, well I mean you know now that there's, yes I mean It'd be more like putting up fences these days, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, you know, plenty of posh kids go to school, <laughs> go to university. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> um, well worth starting yeah. a degree course in fencing. Yep. <laughs> fencing with business. <laughs> so the next... <laughs> put, so I put, is that how club pros feel when golfers in the uh, top en- echelons of the sport turn up and beat their under-par score for the course of the... <laughs> so, yeah. So Montoya sits and says... Um, oh, I've been practicing for twenty years, and then this guy, who's as obviously the audience all knows, is the uh, is Wesley or the farm boy, the farm boy, um, and he's better, <laughs> which yeah. is a little like that. They, you know, I said earlier where it was like it wasn't until they got into the forest that I kind of was bought on this film. That was one of those scenes where I was like, yeah, okay, it's a fairy tale, and this is kind of a trope in fairy tales that this person's so good, and I didn't. But I just was like letting it away, and I was like, oh well, no, there's a real life precedent for that because you have golf pros, and they, <laughs> you know, and they can, <laughs> they don't hold the course record at their own courses sometimes. You know, it'll be like a pro who's played it three times in ten years, and he comes in for a tournament, he's just miles better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, you know, on a, a it's still part of Princess Bride, but a slight tangent hmm. based on based on that. There was a rem- it reminded me a bit of the Count of Monte Cristo where. Um, for those listening who don't know about the plot of that, it's it's a it's a you know a promising young gent around town, and he's essentially wrongfully imprisoned, and then he escapes that, and he has learnt so much in prison that he becomes a wealthy man with all these skills. Stephen Fry did a modern modern retelling called Stars Tennis Balls, and that was my entry into it. You know, mm. so he spends all this time in prison, eighteen, nineteen years, I think. He, it's, it's a long time. I can't, I can't remember. It's a long time in prison, and he spends all that time just learning skills and philosophy mm. and all those. So that when he leaves, he is this Renaissance man. He speaks all these languages, and he's he picks up things faster than everybody else, and he's, uh, he suddenly becomes a billionaire. And um, there's an element of that where he's because he's a different person. He goes from being Ed- Edmund Dantes to being the Count of Monte Cristo. Whereas he's a bit like that for the farmhand to the the dread pirate Roberts, he's much better at most things than everybody. You know, he's um, he's got the immunity. I mean, he he bests Inigo on sword, swordsmanship. He bests uh, Fezic on physical battles, and then he bests uh, Fazzini in the thought. You know, he outthinks him. It's kind of in yeah. that archetype. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the next point I put down was, um, oh, you're, oh yeah, it was one of the uh, one of the great lines of this film was, "You're trying to steal what I've rightfully kidnapped." <laughs> <laughs> like that's what makes the like, little things like that. I had to pause it and have, I had to write that one down straight away because <laughs> you know it's really yeah. simplifies this film, doesn't it? Because it's said in all seriousness. It's farcical, isn't it? Is a funny, mm. yeah. It's farcical. <laughs> My my favourite version of that is when Christopher Guest's character <laughs> tells tells Humperdinck, uh, "Get some rest." There's another one of those later on that I'm going <laughs> to like as well. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that you went back to what we were saying just before this was where did the stable boy get all this time, free time to practice? You know, like you said. Um, the 1980s mm. were a different time for Australians. Uh, moving on. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that always made, yeah, that was something that made me laugh. It was like, oh, is it Gilda and um, Morgenstern? But then it was like, oh, I'm a Spaniard, and this is from Australia, and uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't argue with a Sicilian. So that was like, this is clearly England. Just say it's England, <laughs> you know. But then he wanted to create a war, so, so there you go. Um, uh, was uh, I know he only said one. One phrase to her, but surely he would know <laughs> that it was the farmhand. You know, I remember. I didn't see you for five years. I'd know your voice. <laughs> yeah. Was there any? Was there even a moment where you didn't know it was? No, you knew it straight away, didn't you? But it was. And it, and you're not supposed to be fooled. I think it was more that. I think it was more like the the she didn't realise because which I yeah. thought was. Okay, you could say you could hide behind the whole, well, it's a fairy tale, strange, silly things happen like this. But it was that kind of, it was its own, it was so self-knowing that she, it kind of took a lot of agency away from her. She was a bit of a, I felt she was a very passive character. She is, she's a sort of damsel in distress and she really, she's not given many funny lines, really. And, you know, there's, there's some development in that she, when she decides when she shouts, you know, to Humperdinck, um, we surrender if you promise not to hurt him, essentially. She becomes a yeah. more active character in that in that sense. Um, yeah. but no, you're right. But that's she's, what, an hour into the film when that happens? She's under, yeah, she's underserved in that sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I felt like, yeah, it was... You were saying about it, oh, it being... I mean, this is, again, being a bit hypercritical, but you were saying about, oh, it's the true love's at the, the heart of this. But mm. the, the back and forth between them kind of made you think, oh, well, would this relationship last sort of thing? Because <laughs> there's essentially no banter. He's just going around being amazing and she's, you know, worrying Very about... serious. Yeah. Um, but then again, she, then again, we don't... All we see her is as a spoiled brat. Mm. And then we're told that they have a true love, and and that's kind of hmm. then they're in love properly. It's not just him saying as you wish, and it's hinted that he loves her. Actually, they're properly in love, and they're gonna marry, but he doesn't have the fortune for it. Yeah. And then I suppose five years go goes by, and in those five years, she's lost the love, the true love. So yeah. she might be a different character. So it's almost like we haven't seen the version of that character that we're supposed to have fallen in love with. Yeah. If she wasn't so beautiful and elegant and so on, you know, there, I don't know if there'd be that. 
those traits to to make us fall in love with them. Yeah, I think also I think as this something that I really like about the film is that the um, the antagonists have real motivations, even though they're kind mm. of you know it's a fairy tale. They have a they have a real reason for wanting to kill this woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whether it's a good, mo- obviously it's in they're the antagonists, so it's a bad thing. But you know, f- to them it's they're they know they're doing a bad thing, but they know that it's maybe for the right reason for their kingdom. And I think even the henchmen in mm. Physic and um, Montoya, mm. they obviously suddenly suddenly become good guys quite early on in their involvement. Yeah. <clears throat> but but their their bad guy antagonism is is well explained as yeah. they didn't really know what they were signing up for. They need to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> you know what else have they got? Sort of thing. They wouldn't have killed her. I think that's established early enough that you go. So these are bad guys. They're scary, but mm. they're not. They're good guys, really. They're just working for bad people. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing that Vecini never became good because it's kind of established that he's this egotist and you know he thinks he's smarter than everyone. And, yeah. He's, he's, well, that was his. That was his downfall, really. That's what. He, yeah. That's what Wesley was. Doing. <laughs> I, I do every time I watch it. I think, oh God, he's died early. I, I sort of go, oh. He's not in the film anymore now, he's dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a great line, isn't there? Where he goes, You keep using that word, but I do not think you know what that means, or something like that's that. Beautiful. That's yeah. brilliant, isn't it? Because he said inconceivable about 15 times by then. <laughs> Every single time, yeah. it's conceivable because it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when, they, uh, when they're on the top of the hill and um, she pushes him down, I just put. As you will. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't so much that it was. I just put top ADR work <laughs> because it's so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It took me out. They are not. That's not live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that took me out of it quite badly at that point. Um, and it, there's a funny bit of trivia actually. So to to cut in about about the filming of not the chum, the tumbling but the the chat at the top. Mm. It's it's probably not something that you remember or picked up on at the time, but when he's basically haranguing her for falling in love again and you know giving up on true love and so on. Mm. Cariel was at that time had a broken toe. Yeah. And there's a point at which he, I can't remember quite the line that he says before, but he sits down, but he doesn't sit down normally. He sits down by lowering, he uses his hand to lower himself down onto the lock and keeps his right leg completely straight. And it, and it doesn't look like a man who's broken his toe. It looks like a really interesting character decision. Yeah. It looks like good acting. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's broken his toe. That's all that is. Yeah. Uh, well, that's one of those situations where you in, you don't notice it the first time when you know about it happening, you kind of imbue it with yeah. it's you imbue it with it's with goodwill. Do you know what I mean? Because you well, I do anyway. When I you know when you learn these things, you're like, oh well, that's just a great idea. Where in reality, he was just didn't want to get in trouble, did he? And was like, oh, I need to, <laughs> yeah. I need to get on with today's filming. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I, but I I like that bit. I did. It was. I like the stunt work in that bit. I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, because they clearly rolled somebody down. They rolled two people down a hill. <laughs> it, it, it looks lovely, doesn't it? It looks like a really fun thing to do. It's just yeah. roll down that huge hill. Yeah, it looks really dangerous. Um, <laughs> so once they move into the forest, I put the director dog needs taken to the vet. <laughs> um, uh, Oh yes, yeah, so he gets bitten by the dog on the shoulder. Uh, do, th- did they have rabies shots and antibiotics in this uh, in this world? <laughs> Just fire, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I've jumped a bit here to the bit once they go into the, what is it, the Chamber of Doom, or what was it called? The uh, Pit of Despair. Pit of Despair, yeah. No, put... A fun fact on that, actually. So before they get to the Pit of Despair, mm. just after they come out of the Fire Swamp, mm. they have the confrontation with Humperdinck and his men. Yeah. Christopher Guest's character hits um, hits Whistley on the head yeah. with, the, with the butt of his sword. It's a real sword, so there's proper heft to it, and apparently he was... He was so concerned about hurting him that he just wasn't really touching him over and over again. And Carrie always came up with a great idea. Why don't you just sort of hit me, but very slightly? <laughs> when you see him get hit, that yeah. actual shot is the one where he actually knocks him out. <laughs> that was the last thing he remembers that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. And of course, you're going to use that shot because he actually hit him over the head and knocked him out. <laughs> I thought that looked really tame as well when I saw it. I thought, and oh, and he's actually you know, they were. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's impressive. Interesting because I remember kind of growing and going. Well, obviously they weren't going to smack him, so yeah. they kind of go. Doosh. But yeah, wow, I didn't realise you hit him that hard. Um, so they, they're then in the pit of despair. That was for your next yeah. Thing, isn't it? Yeah. So I said um, uh, we've walked into a Mel Brooks film here, uh, <laughs> and then I put where's Griff? Because <laughs> as soon as I realised it was um, the other Brooks. Uh, Mel, sorry, Mel, uh, Mel Smith. I was like, oh right, okay. So they've used real English actors here for some of the uh, the work, and I knew that kind of signalled to me that he was going to have some lines and do something, yeah. and he didn't disappoint in that scene. It's quite an it's quite an odd surprise, isn't it? That it's Mel, uh, Mel Smith there, and it's kind of yeah. and you go, oh yeah, he died, didn't he? And, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll sort of wallow in that moment for a bit, and he's got yeah. you know, his first line, and he's he's like he's this sort of uh, you know croaky thing and coughs, and then he's mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's a very he's he's on the screen for so little time, but he's just so well used. And when Humperdinck comes in and turns turns it to fifty when um, Wes is on the on the machine, <clears throat> the look on Christopher Guest's face Guest's face is brilliant because he's just a sociopath, you know he's mm. he takes no emotional interest at all in the pain. He's noting down the pain for his records. And then Mel Smith's got this weird little jolt of excitement, this little just little bit of satisfaction about the ultimate suffering that Wesley's feeling. Yeah, um, on the point you were saying about turning it up to 50, I didn't know, obviously, Rob Ryan, uh, Rob Rayner directed this film, and I audibly said out loud, turn it up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I said, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it would be put, too knowing for Christopher Guest to turn it up to 11, I think, in the yeah. Rob Rayner film. Yeah. I put, well, lit pit of despair, plus questionnaire, survey. Nobody likes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, um, that's the sociopathic scientific you know tendency of his character is he's, he's not doing this necessarily you know ostensibly he's not doing this for pleasure he's just an academically mm. figuring out and you know please yeah. be honest and report your you know experiences <laughs> he wants to fine-tune this machine yeah uh, not to make it too dark but they call that the banality of evil yeah well absolutely yeah, yeah. He's, he's not going ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. he's just recording dutifully <laughs> yeah because he's just recording for posterity remember this yeah. is for posterity <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he's so I, I mean he's got so few uh, you know funny lines on the page but he just delivers them so deadpan and so well yeah they let so him really stated. they really let him play with that didn't they in that character mm. in that scene I do think at that point the film takes a tone shift quite dramatically Mm. Um, I think not dramatically, no, I know so much a good way, but the sort of damsel in distress stuff, once he gets through the, the forest, there's definitely, this is the, the third act or the, 
There's, yeah, you know the yeah, soul fact. So. If it's, it's, if I mean, it's when, it gets quite serious when he's on, when he's getting the fifty, you know, in the, on the machine when mm. he's shaking about. That mm. is actually quite a horrifying image. Yeah, that shot is really quite spooky. Um, yeah, I, I, that, I, I almost remember that as though I was an eight-year-old watching it, and it mm. might be that I I don't remember, but maybe I did watch it when I was eight. Yeah, but actually, I think in reality I watched it. And I thought, God, that's pretty powerful, and it would be terrifying if I was a child watching it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like with Star Wars. Before I watched it, I'd seen bits and pieces of it already. Yeah, because it yeah, was true. on TV, and so that, I imagine this was probably on TV at some point, and you might have caught half of it, you know, before your mum was like, "Sam, go go out and play." <laughs> <laughs> Now, <laughs> it's possible. It's very possible because yeah. it was it was so evocative that I thought this mm. can't be the first time I've seen this. You know, it feels, it feels, yeah, it feels like um, I've seen it a million times. So, <laughs> so jumping forward a bit more, um, the bit where uh, uh, Buttercup has the dream and the line "Love her as I loved her" <laughs> by the king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an odd line. Um, and then I put, maybe Jenny will turn to drugs again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's Jenny, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. How did I not know that connection? Yeah. You don't, do you? Cause the, uh, the queen she, of prutescence. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, uh, harking back to what you said earlier, um, I noted down, actually, the uh, conversation where he's like, oh, you should get some sleep. You know, you've got a busy day. I said, <laughs> and I just put down, a statement of the conversation of great men. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it killed me when I watched it again uh, this week. <laughs> I'd completely even, I'd just forgotten about that line, and it's just, <laughs> it's yeah. just brilliant because it's not alluding to something. It's just, just a funny line. Yeah, it's, it's just perfect. Yeah, it is. It is one of those great lines in the show where it's like <laughs> you're just the talking like you know Machiavellian, <laughs> and it's like, are you coming out to do this? No. Are you coming to watch this torture? No. I've got to. I need to get. I've got so much work to do. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, make sure you pack an umbrella because it looks like it might turn it. Yeah. Maybe maybe a light waterproof. You know, because you don't want to get too warm. <laughs> just really, really mundane. Oh yeah, the next bit I noticed was. Obviously, when Wesley's, he gets like uh, the next point of focus when Wesley's like as he's getting back his strength after uh, being revived by Billy Crystal, um, which yeah, like you said, it does kind of make it very jokey eighties, doesn't it? Um, um, so yeah, you have uh, this king and oh yeah, you have sorry Billy Crystal and he's there and you know Billy's sort of. Makes it very 80s comedy, you know, new wave comedy at the time. And I mean, I love Billy Crystal and I like Carol Kane and the things I've seen her in. This made it a bit more Mel Brooks-esque. Mel Brooks-esque. There was, there was talk that they should just get Mel Brooks to play that character because he had the film 2,000-Year-Old Man. And the decision was the pro- the, that people go, oh, well, it's just Mel Brooks. Yeah. And... We go, oh, well, that's Billy Crystal being Billy Crystal. Yeah. And they probably, some people would have done that then, but I don't think he was, I might be wrong, but I I don't know if he was as famous then as he is now. Yeah, well, I think we, um, when Harry Matt Sally had come out, he was really famous in America, I think. When was that? We've, oh, uh it was. I'll Google it. Think, it was a. It was around that time. Yeah. It, just based on just based on what Carrie Elwes was saying in As You Wish, 
this sort of making of book, I get the sense that that hadn't already come out. And there was an element of... Oh, no, sorry. You're right. It came out two years later. Right, yeah. So I think I think that was obviously maybe not a breakthrough film, but certainly the thing that he's probably best known as, um, mm. other, you know, to an English audience, certainly. Um, from that era, I think that was probably... Yeah, so there was an element of... Um, this is the director's friends taking a mm. role and, and having fun. I watched the film This Is The End, I think it's called, the Seth Rogen. Yeah. I really liked it. I happened to be drinking at the time, so it helped. But I, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's the old edict of the more fun somebody had, had making a comedy, the less funny it is. And I think, yeah. I think there are some great lines from that and it works and I wouldn't change it at all, but I think there's... I think I mentioned earlier that was the point at which I thought it might lose you, and that was the point at which uh, there's just a just a slight slight dual feeling in me. At the yeah, same, at the same he, time, you know, he came in for three days. He was in that. Yeah. He, it took five hours of makeup, and Carol Kane nine hours of makeup, and then he just delivered ten hours of improv. You know, did the lines, improvised for ten hours a day, three three days, and came mm. up with some beauties. You know, the MLT mutton lettuce tomato. That's his. Um, yeah, that was really funny. It's great. It's just great. It just just really captures that that character really well. And uh, my favorite mm. little one. I think I'm right. In, I'm not sure. I might be wrong here. I think I'm right in saying it wasn't the original script. Was after they give him the the miracle pill, yeah, in chocolate. Um, he's saying, you know, uh, don't go swimming for an hour, a good hour. Uh, before I might be wrong. Actually, I might that might have been in the original script. But yeah. uh, as far as as far as the stories go, there were plenty of. Uh, I mean, <laughs> actually, this is funny. Something I didn't mention. Mandy Patinkin, who was you know yeah. did all those stunts and fight scenes, never got injured in the whole film. According to him, a couple of his, his only injury from the whole film was he literally bruised a rib while suppressing <laughs> laughter <laughs> whilst Billy Crystal was doing his thing. Rob Reiner, oh, yeah. Rob Reiner would shout action and leave the mm. room. Because he was just ruining every take with his laughter. It was that, you know... And th- that makes you think, oh, well, it's not going to be funny to watch. It's mm. going to be a funny conversation, but actually, you know, it's it's indicative of something going on. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong, like, that p- bit out of, out of context, if that was like a sketch where, oh, the prince is nearly dead, and it's, you know, the smart Jew... Like, it's true, it's like a... He's, you know... R- this is an area where they played on certain like stereotypes quite a lot. So, you know, Billy Crystal was seen as the smart talking Jewish actor yeah. or comedian, and that's what he comes in and does. He's the smart talk, like Mel Brooks. He's the smart talking. You know, nothing gets past him character, and I really like that. I love Jewish comedy, quite frankly. Yeah, he captures it, but, and, and that's one of the uh, uh, just a side point. It's one of the, another reason why Wallace Shawn was so concerned yeah. about Danny DeVito replacing him because he's playing a Sicilian. He's really more of a Jewish comedian. Danny DeVito's got Italian background. That was another thing playing in his mind. But yeah, it really captures that Jewish uh, you know, ness. Yeah, that that's what's that like ephemeral kind of comedic charm and quick wit that that's their fate, that that kind of I mean I hate to use the word Jewish because it's it's, it's you know it's it, yeah, it, that's a great way. But it's, yeah, it is it's loaded, the it's it? the defining characteristic, or it's the it's the common characteristic in yeah. that, in that, you know, and and, and, it, and it helps that that realm of comedian re- constantly refers to it being Jewish comedy and and and, that, yeah. and their Jewishness, you know, the Woody Allen, the, that that sort of yeah, area. yeah, and I I don't know, like 
it's it's a great it is a great part of that kind of American comedic tradition as well. That yeah. From the, you know, like from the Marks to to Crystal, and I think it's gone away. It went away, it did go away in the nineties, but we stopped identifying them quite rightly as their religion. Yeah, or their I think Jerry Seinfeld is a good example of somebody who's Jewish yeah. but doesn't lean on the Jewishness in his comedy. You sort of get yeah. that that nasal complaining type thing, but he's not complaining yeah. about his bad back or his you know his sensitive yeah. skin to things and his, his allergies and his anxieties yeah i mean by that point it probably was already past you know it'd been not even you know it was a stereotype and it was pastiche yeah. and then it was you know satirized you know when it by the time it's so postmodern, it's just well what's the, there was an attitude of well we're all just people at that point wasn't there but i think it's also a very american problem because they have a such a melting pot of a country generally that they had to. I you identified people by their either religious or in, like I said, loaded, loadedly, you know, their ethnic background. Whereas in Britain, it's not something that really happens in terms of like you won't go, oh, well, he's oh, he's funny because he's he's Anglican or anything like that. Would you? <laughs> no, I, I agree. On, yeah, sorry, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm coming on to Anglicans, mm-hmm. uh, so we don't. <laughs> this podcast doesn't last thirty years. Uh, Peter Cook. I'm sorry Wonderful. to say. I don't find him funny in this film oh, at all. No. I know this is going to upset you. Yeah, I he he I just it was as if he was being funny for Americans, not for other audience members. He was just long drawling and going it's all I heard of him. And I want to go back and watch it again, but I felt it was funny in kind of for the character of the uh, Prince Humperdinck, who was like, "Oh my God, how long is this ceremony gonna last? You know, I need to get this done so we can, you know, you know, I'm throwing a war at nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, that kind of way." Did you know he was going to say Mowage? Uh That was the only one that caught me out. <laughs> I think that's the joke, really, because yeah. his, his speech impediment is funny, but he doesn't have funny lines, really. Yeah, and I think the iconic part is this is a grand wedding, and he's there, and he looks great, and he's. Uh, you know, mm. and then it's and then marriage comes out, and I think that, you know, yeah, fair enough. I I think he I think he pulls that bit off, but you know, it, when I try to recommend Peter Cook to people, I don't say watch this twelve seconds from Princess Bride. I'm more yeah. inclined to talk about the Tarzan, you know, Derek and Clive, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So yeah. fair or even Pink, even Pink Panther, you know, he is great in those. He's just very physical comedy. Just he's you know, he's 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 funny. Um, yeah. No, fair enough. I, I think he nails the mowage, and I think that just works. But really, the the comedy in that area is Humperdinck going, you know, get on with it. So yeah, he's just I did put uh, missing Dudley Moore, <laughs> 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 but that's just because I think those two are so great together. Yeah. Um, and then finally. Uh, you know, we were saying back earlier, hacking back to earlier, when you were saying about these juxtapositions of lines and, you know, uh, people saying incongruous things to each other. <laughs> the best line is where um, Robin Wright, she goes, I'd like to know that, to the king, she's addressing the king as they're walking down the corridor, he goes, I'd like to know that I'm something like I'm going to miss you and you were really nice. And she's like, but I'm com- if I'm committing suicide before the, <laughs> before the wedding night. She says it really earnestly. And she gives the king a kiss on the cheek and the king's replies, um, she, kissed she me. gave me a kiss. She <laughs> yeah. gave me a kiss. <laughs> it's lovely that. Just, yeah, just yeah. confused old king, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, he's just like, well, I got what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it was the line, wasn't it, from uh, earlier where it was like, um, love her as I loved her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very loaded term. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, um, that was that was the film for me. That I, Yeah, I was thoroughly impressed by it. So I've got two uh, questions for you. Yep. Firstly, would you recommend it? I would recommend it. In fact... I watched it and then I was speaking to my dad and I asked him had he seen it and I recommended it to him. Gosh. So I'm hooked. So you have yeah. recommended it. That's already. Is that one nil to me or are we? Um, I mean, we... I, I'm I'm really happy. Oh. I, you know, ego aside, I'm really yeah. happy that I recommended the film to you and actually that's hopefully added a really good mm-hmm. film to to you know you enjoyed. It's, for, you know, ninety-eight th- minutes of your life. I think I would, I think I would say here, watch Star Wars, and then <laughs> and then no, if you seriously, don't like that, Princess Bride. Well, we've we've got to talk about like the fairy tale aspect of it, and, you mm. know, the construction, you know, the deconstruction of the, you know, I think we've got to get into this as much as we can, and you know, like it's so, you know, it's the deconstruction of the fairy tale viewed through an American writer. Um, Parry, uh, summing up a story he heard when he was a child from the 40s, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah. Or younger than that, maybe the So 30s. in many ways, they're the sort of the same film. They both have Pete Diamond, Bob Anderson. So the next yeah. question is, out of 10, how many dreams of large women would you give it out of 10? <laughs> um, I'd give it 8 large women solid. out of 10. That is a solid yeah. thumbs up, I think, from Mr. Hugh Dempsey there. It is because... The reason I would give it that is because there's little moments that aren't quite, they're a bit, they don't quite fit. And I also think Wesley's a bit of a dick to her as well. Well, by the I end was going to, I was, th- so what we have coming up next is a quiz. I was, mm. I was wondering whether I should put almost um, testing your understanding questions, because mm. really what I've got is trivia. Um, yeah. One of the questions I was considering is, why was he so mean to her on the hilltop when she thought it was the Dread Pirate Robbers? Why isn't he just hugging her and kissing her? Why is he being so mean to her? Yeah, I wondered that as well. I was like, does he think he's being followed or something? Or is he's basically angry? It's like he's angry at her <laughs> for for like five years later moving on to well uh, that's it that's what it is yeah all he knows is she's marrying another and really it's not it's not um they went out and she's marrying someone else it's they had true love which is maybe once every century uh (laughs) and and she's giving that up and i think he didn't know the con he didn't know the context uh the reasons for that marriage so i think he's testing her so in fact do you know what I'll, i'll i'll well, let's get to the quiz, because my first question is relevant to this. Okay. Shall we get into the quiz? Let's go. The way this works, I'm, I'm going to give you a question, and I'd like you to pause for a second at least, just to give the viewer, the viewer, just to give the, the listener... Uh, the time to. I can put it up on YouTube think. if you like, but it'll still be it'll, at this point. It'll be a black screen or a ident card. I l- I literally have tape over my webcam, so the v- the viewer of black screenness and the listener. If you are of sounds, li- if you are listening to this on YouTube at an unscript later date, many years from now, hello, 
I'm waving at you. You just can't see it. I referred to you as a viewer, and I was I was anticipating this. Uh, fair enough. So the yeah. first question Hi, in my quiz. <laughs> the first question in my quiz. What does Wesley say to Buttercup in in the hilltop scene to mm. convince her that he is Wesley rather than the Dread Pirate Roberts? She said, "He says as you wish." As he's falling down the hill. Well done, fantastic. Question two. We've met, we've said it many times. What is the name of the character played by Andre the Giant? Uh, Fezzik. Good. Two, two for two. For how many years has Inigo sought revenge for his father? Twenty. Good stuff. Three on three. To what poison is Wesley immune? Iocane. Very good, Iocane powder. Where, were, where was Fezzik unemployed when he was found by Vicini? Um, good question. It's a great, that's a great question. Let me mm. answer this when I, what's Googling? No. Um, <laughs> you referred to it earlier, but you didn't refer to the landmass country oh, where he found it's, him. It's either Gilder or... Um, it's a real place now. It's a real country. Oh, oh it's, I'm guessing France. Greenland. <laughs> Do you really want to go yeah. back to where you were? Unemployed in Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Mr. I didn't quite hear what he said when I watched Fair it. Enough. Unfortunately, so Question. I just assumed he was French because every other country is mentioned other than England. And Andre's <laughs> first language is French, which leads me to a bit of trivia. Actually, he was yeah. worried with English not being his first language, so Rob Reiner recorded himself um, mm. playing out all of Fezzik's parts. On yeah. tape, and Andre would listen to it on set constantly until he was confident uh, that, he, that he would get his lines right. Question six. Oh, what? it's the six questions. Oh, the seven yes. questions, my friend. Seven. Oh, right. Okay, because I only did five last week. Just well, I don't mean to that. compare. Yeah, but I would compare favorably. What are are you R O U S's? Rodents of R O U S. Unusual signs. Well done. And final question. Who yeah. scored the film? Who wrote the music for the film? Uh, it was Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. Fantastic. I believe that's six out of seven. So I'm just going to uh, give a small... Yeah. That was two hands, two fingers, sorry, against the palm of the other hand. Yeah. Primary school style. Great stuff. I'm sure audio, <laughs> as an audio feature, it sounds disgusting. Yeah, so would you like some... F- Facts that I found about it. Tell me some facts. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything. Oh well, actually, I'm going to give you some reviews of it, the film at the time. Marvelous. So we mentioned we mentioned just a quick snippet because I think that's important. Yeah. Um, so we Rod, we mentioned the late great Roger Ebert. We did. We did. Critic. He'll he'll get a mention most weeks. I suspect. Yeah. I think because especially from the 80s as well because he was like the 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 critic at he the was time. yeah absolutely yeah so he's and he's also very accessible uh, and brilliant to people yeah i wasn't overly impressed with this review okay to be honest in terms of the right i thought it was it was standard you know i want maybe because he was so good at the time critical review has come up since then mm-hmm. you know people have copied it so but um he said the Princess Bride reveals itself as a sly parody of sword and sorcery movies, a film that somehow manages to exist on two levels at once, where your viewer will sit spell, where your younger viewer will sit spellbound at the uh, thrilling events on screen, and adults, I think, will be laughing a lot. Uh, and then that's lukewarm. Yeah. It's warm, but it's it's lukewarm. 
Well, on the review he gave it, it was uh, four and a half stars out of five. Well, that's three and a half. Well, three and a half stars. So he he clearly liked it. And then I found another one from the time. This time it was uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times. Uh, so these are both from another mention of the New York Times. Is yeah, was Ebert in the New York Times? I no, my uh, review of um, Empire, oh, Empire was uh, was a uh, somebody from the New York Times who did not like it. Yeah, um, this is a quite a good review actually. So it, uh, some she does, she uh, echoes some of what you said actually. It. It has a delightful cast and a cheery, earnest style that turns out to be even more um, disarming as the film moves along. Even the little boy who's a tough customer is eventually won over. <laughs> I mean, that is it's a wonderful moment when he's fine mm. with the kissing scene at the end. It's when it's a, yeah. It's almost like he's grown up in that over the course of the story. He's grown up from being a child who doesn't understand kissing scenes to somebody mm. who understands kissing scenes, and I think that's just wonderful. wonderful. And, yeah, and I mean. Peter Falk's in the film for about, what, eight minutes? And yeah. he's just charming. You know, charming is the word I would use to sum this film up, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't mind this being a feature. Or, uh, I think feature's a strong word. Um, a regular item. Uh, something that happens sometimes. Along with the recommendation, along with the... Good dictionary you know, definition stars. there of, a, of a, an item. Yeah, um, <laughs> a thing. Or a thing, yeah. You have to sum up the word, the film in one word. Okay. I think that, you know, if I was to, if I, had to <laughs> uh, if I was to sum up Empire Strikes Back, although this isn't the episode for it, I would say, uh, okay. You can wreck, we can wreck on our own stuff, it's fine. We can, you know, fine. We've got the equipment. Okay. So you've got one word in which to sum up this film. There's a lot of pressure here to get this. Apologies for bringing this, this on you. This is bad, bad planning. That's, that's fine. Uh, uh, charming. Charm. Well, I mean, you've stolen my word, but it means I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's charming because it's, it is ostensibly a kid's film. Um, and there's no denying that. But it's 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 a good gateway for kids then to go on and watch. I think stuff like in proper Mel Brooks films, like Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, uh, to watch Monty Python, uh, to watch you know other good parodies and pastiches, and you know uh, you know I was kind of sat watching it and thinking, God, Kerry Elway's missed out on a lot of work in the from nineteen ninety nine because of Scary Movie because he was so good in it you know what I mean he's he's like an almost lost talent I think I tell you of... a film I haven't mentioned him being in in the early 2000s Saw mm. he played the man who had to saw his own foot off no that's not him is he I had the same wow. response when I thought about that again and Google imaged it and IMDb'd it yeah how mind blowing is that yeah so if you had a word to sum this film up what would it be after a long deliberation, I'd have to say charming. <laughs> so we both pick the same way to describe it. And I think that's that's that's, that's basically what this. It should be Princess Bride colon charming. Yeah. Part one. <laughs> Part two. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, wreck. Yeah, just in case they decide to. Make. I think that's a good. Another good thing is they didn't make. 
they didn't look at the video sales and go, let's make seven of these. Well, this is it, yeah. And, and, and you know, yeah. as much as I would like to be in that universe for longer, it, it's... The point is that it's not taking itself seriously, and it's not. It's not, and it's yeah. just. It's just lovely, and and I'll I'll show it to my daughter when. Well, I've seen it. She's seen it twice because I've watched it with her twice now. Um, yeah. And sometimes she likes it. Sometimes she shouts "Mr. Tumble," and I'll show it to her when she's six, and then I'll show her Star Wars and say, mm. you know, it wasn't that first film better. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, but this is the thing: is the the characters. This is where I would have, like, say, I would say I'd show this after Star Wars, is because this takes itself not the the story takes itself seriously. The actors in the story take themselves serious, and the jokes they make are about life to the the young boy, and I uh, the young audience. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. The adults, I suppose if you watch this first, the, then Star Wars, you'd watch Star Wars with too wry a view. Yeah, you couldn't that's... take any of it seriously. Yeah, and you're already doing that as like you know no, but as you are even yeah. no, even as a child you you're going well that's unusual. Do you know what I mean? These stormtroopers can't hit a barn door. Yeah, oh like, yeah. Like he's literally you li- you literally have the high ground. That almost sounds seems like a parody down. of bad guy henchmen. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair enough, really. Yeah, um, I'll tell you the one fact I did have was that apparently the whole film was all shot in in England. Yeah. And, uh, except for the last shot of the film. Which, when uh, Peter Falk says that'll, you know, as you wish, yeah, and apparently the original take of that was a bit creepy, so they redid the whole thing in LA. That's fantastic. Well, one thing I did hear that was that he didn't feel like he was old enough to play the role. He was in his fifties, I think, at the time, and so yeah. they put on some prosthetics and makeup, and he said he, I thought he said he felt well. he felt like a Burns victim, so they reshot that. That's a, that's a good fact, though. I like that. Sorry, to go back on the Peter, I thought, why have they made Peter Folt look older than he is? It's basically grey um, hair, isn't it? That's all of them. Yeah, but it was so obvious. On Maybe on a cinema screen in 87, it's not that obvious, but hmm. he just has one of those faces, though, doesn't he? he I mean, can like you imagine between... Peter Folk at 14, honestly? <laughs> just try and picture... He's got a moustache, hasn't he? In your, in He's your got mind's something. eye. <laughs> Fourteen-year-old, yeah. eight-year-old Peter Falk has a moustache mm. and glasses and mm. a hat. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and a cigar and a trench coat. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> and basically a drinking problem. You know, he's he's never been younger than forty-five, even when he yeah. was he was he was <laughs> he was that kid at school who was smoking when it was like when it was really unacceptable. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He was he was cigar stained and um, Yeah, he was eleven and he, he had a twenty a day happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know. One last fact That's, actually that I would it would be remiss of me to leave out. Um, yeah. before Andre the Giant. Yeah. Would you like to guess who was considered for the role? I know this. Oh. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. True. There was another person, yeah. but Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was, he was happy. Oh, was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Are you just naming tall people now? No, they did. They considered Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as well. True. From Airplane. Well, it makes sense. Tall person. Yeah. Acts. Um, Can you name another very tall actor of the time? Dolph Lundgren? Is he tall? <laughs> Probably. But like uh, six foot three tall. Uh, Richard Kyle. Or Keel. Kyle Keel. Who's that? Jaws. Oh, he Jaws, yeah. yeah. Oh, 
I could have seen Jaws doing that yeah. job as well as Andre. I say if you if you do if you if you listen to any of the cast or crew talking about Andre, mm. all they talk about is just what a bloody lovely guy, just calm, sweet and gentle and kind and just all these great you know, just loved. Absolutely loved. Not because he's dead. And you've got to say that about dead people, actually genuinely loved and it was very heartwarming to hear the stories. A great thing that Christopher Anderson said actually was um a lot of people talked about his smile because his yeah. teeth were normal sized. And um and of Ooh. course of course they were, but it blew my mind and I thought, Oh god yeah so you could see a cavernous big smile when he smiled, you know, it wasn't a teethy grin, it was it was just a big yeah. derpy smile. Uh, that was quite a nice touch. Now I feel like we I feel like we've talked plenty uh, okay. on Princess Bride. What we yeah. uh, if unless you've got have you got any more in your notes to... Uh, uh, no, I think that'll, that'll, that'll do it. Well, it's Princess Bride. I think we've covered it. I can't think of anything else. I've got all, gone through all the notes. Um, Something we like to do at the end of every episode is a little teaser for the next episode where yeah. the, the host says what the, you know, the receiver of the, the recommendation is, the please watch this recommendation, um, is going to watch. And then the receiver... I don't want to use the word receiver, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that does make it sound as if... The co-host... The, yeah, there we go, sidekick, that's the right word, isn't it? Yeah, the... They give their, the, their, their first impressions and knowledge on that, and um, and we see if that yeah. pans out. So I think pretty most things you said last last time about Princess Bride were correct. You know, you talked about Andre the Giant being in it, you talked about it bending gender conven- yeah. conventions, um, and I think you pretty much got everything right. What are we watching yeah. next week, Hugh Dempsey? Uh, so next week we're going to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark by uh, another 80s film, another film set in this period about six years before. Um, I'm interested to see uh, Sam's reaction to another ostensibly George Lucas produced film <laughs> uh, because it's um, a classic for a reason and I'd like him to watch it. So what do you know about Raiders of the Lost Ark? I know... It has Harrison Ford. Yep. I know that he is a lecturer in presumably archaeology, and yep. I know he's bloody handsome, and his and his female students love him, uh, as yep. is written on the eyelids of one of his female students. Um, yep. I know that there's a thing that he needs to get, um, and there's a there's a boulder that rolls, and he tries to put a weight on it. Um, and it doesn't succeed, and he runs away, and he and he and he slides under a door, and then he get grabs his hat just at the last second. I know that um, it's probably in this film where you have him with the uh, fight with, or you know, the showdown with a Moroccan person who does lots of fancy sword stuff, and then Indy pulls out his gun and shoots him, and it's actually because he had dysentery at the time and couldn't fight, Jesus. Um, even though it was sure, choreographed. Sure, it was dysentery. Because that seems a bit. <laughs> that seems a bit Napoleonic. He was pooing. He was pooing without him might, having the say so over the. the I pooing. think if he had had dysentery, he might have died. Dysentery is a really serious thing. I is think it not just? Play. Is it not just diarrhea? Basically, n- n- uh, it's not. No, because million, gonna... millions die of diarrhea every year. Yeah, dysentery is. Is it a lot worse? Is it, is it explosive? It, it's one of those. It's actually one of those diseases that's not 
Napoleonic. It's just we don't have it in this part of the world because we have like clean drinking water and right. So uh, basically, like he that. had um, a deli belly, let's call it. Uh, yeah, couldn't do <laughs> the rehearsal. It could be. He could have had dysentery. I could be completely so wrong. He shot. Just... He shot the chap. I believe that's Raiders. Yeah. Um, Raiders mm. Lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Nazis, their faces melt when they see it. Uh, Big mm. Bang Theory. Amy says, "Oh, you know that's the film where." He didn't need to be in it because basically he tries to stop them getting the Ark of the Covenant. They get mm. it and their faces melt. So if he wasn't in it, that would have happened anyway. Um, it, I think we'll, we'll a, get into that. I think there's a scene <laughs> where the walls close in. There's there's spikes on them. Um, yeah. Uh, that's. I think I'm going to um, not like it. <laughs> in, <laughs> that's fair. In the same way that I didn't like Star Wars. Um, yeah. Not because it's bad, though it might be bad, mm. because it's probably too late for me to watch it. But my plan is to watch it completely objectively and to just try to be yeah. a 12-year-old watching it in 1985. One. Which I is not necessarily when it came out. But I think it came out in between uh, Empire and Jedi, so I think it was 81. Early 80s, 80, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to... I'll try to contextualise it and just enjoy the fun of it and try not to be cynical and 30 about it uh, we'll <laughs> see we'll see how that turns out really yeah well okay so well that's what we're watching next time on please watch this if you have any uh, opinions about today's show about uh, keeping to yourself about, uh, yeah, keep them to yourself. But we if do you not do want to, well if you do want to, if you do want to share them, uh, you can Twitter us at uh, please watch this. I think it is, or please watch pod. Please watch at, this pod. At, please watch this pod. We I should know, know this, this off by heart now. We really should. We I mean, they'll find us. They'll they'll figure it out. And also, really? we have please watch this dot pod at gmail dot com. We have a little uh, email again. there. We have an email address you can get to us, which is please watch this dot pod at gmail dot com. Please watch um, this dot pod at gmail.com and our Twitter handle is please watch pod. Yep. At please Some watch pod. Yep. Switch windows and look today. Good work, mate. <laughs> that's why you're the that's why you're the co host <laughs> of this I have episode. My phone handy. It's yep. Um it's been a pleasure. I'm really, really glad that you liked it and uh, I look forward to doing this next week. Okay, well I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.